So pre-warning, I'm rusty. Not my name, Chad, but I am rusty. <laughs> I have not preached in four months. Uh, so this may be not the smoothest sermon I've given in the sense it may be a little choppy. So today is one of those where when I read that, uh, this idea of perfectionism, yeah, I need to kind of let that go today. I need to get back in the swing of preaching. Um, I will get to do this week and next week. So um, that will probably help a little bit. I had to open up my computer because Corey's, uh, Wilcox's book is only available on ebook, um, and I want to reference some things, so I wanted to use this. I want to make a little plug for his book. Um, I actually re- uh, read the whole thing. It did not take me long, a little over maybe an hour or six, uh, I believe six sermons in there, six chapters, something like that. Uh, really easy reads. The one I like about Corey, we've heard him preach, we know him, he speaks on a level kind of equal to us. His stuff is not so high you don't understand it, and he wrote this for the Lent season. Um, And I would say, hey, man, go out, spend three dollars. It cost me literally three bucks to buy the book. Uh, Make this part of a Lent practice. What I love about the book, uh, because I am not a Jesus imagery fan at all. If you know me, anything about me, I am not a fan of it. Like, I would never have Jesus pictures, imagery, anything around, because the imagery is is what we guess wrong, which is why I love the picture Corey picked. Loved it. I made a comment on my Facebook, and, and he said, that's the Olin Mills of Jesus photos. And, um, you know, Jesus smiling and pretty and, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. Of course, we got brown hair in that one. But even if you take the nativity scene, right, we, we really doll up the nativity scene. I don't have much room to talk. I have a nativity scene out of my house 24-7, 365. But it's pretty little animals, and everybody's happy and smiling. And if we really look at that scene, it's gritty. It's a gritty, tough scene. Mary's whole uh, pregnancy is tough. This is not easy. Jesus, Jesus, in the context of his day, what he is doing is hard. He, does, he is not that. He is not that. His words at times are not just, oh, it's okay. I love you. Let's just go do this fun little thing together, and, you know, we'll just be happy and, and all that. No, he, he punches you in the gut sometimes, and so Corey teaches us through his sermons, of these moments where Jesus is not a nice guy. And this is one of the, one of the passages. It's called Jesus is the Intimidator. Um, and I was really pleased that the stars aligned that I would get a chance to preach this passage. Amanda uh, was probably a little more nervous, uh, but I actually love this passage a lot. I relate a lot to this passage, not because I'm an intimidator at all, if you'd ask the young kids that I work with, they find me to be the least intimidating person. I was hoping getting tattoos would change that maybe a little bit, maybe scare them at times. They say it actually makes me less intimidating. I don't know how that actually works, but it does. Um, so uh, I don't relate in that way to Jesus, but the way he uses his words in this moment and his emotions to try to make a point, I can relate to that. Because I can be an emotional person at times. So let me read scripture to get us started. This is Mark 11, 15 to 19. They came into Jerusalem. After entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them. Hasn't it been written, my house 
will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a hideout for crooks. Some translations say den of thieves. But you've turned it into, okay, hideout for crooks. The chief priests and legal experts heard this and tried to find a way to destroy him. Other translations will use the word kill him. They regarded him as dangerous because the whole crowd was enthralled at his teaching. When it was evening, Jesus and his disciples went outside the city. And there we go. And I thought about maybe kicking over some tables. I thought maybe the community table, I could just flip that over. I tried the other day, and it didn't budge. So I couldn't do that. But boy, wouldn't that be a scene? If I came in here one day, if Manny came in here one day, hopped up here and just started kicking over tables and throwing stuff around, you would think she's lost her mind. I would pay a hefty price to see it, though. But Corey starts this chapter talking about an image of Jesus that you can buy on Amazon that embreds his image on a piece of toast. Because people use Jesus, Christianity, faith, church, at times, to sell and make money and profit. So Corey asks the question, how much would you pay for a toaster to have in your house that every morning when you have your eggs, that you have Jesus' image on that piece of bread? 15 bucks? 20 bucks? 50 bucks? 100 bucks? Amazon sells the thing, as Corey says, for a price of $34.95. Fantastic. So I thought, I'm going to look this up, see if they still sell it. I Google, so I went to Amazon, looked up the company, and the first thing that pops up is Bob Ross. Oh, the Bob Ross toaster. Oh, fantastic. Bob Ross toaster for sale for $34.95. Now, raise your hands if you all know who Bob Ross is. Oh, yes. Yes, even my son, who's a sophomore in high school, knows Bob Ross. I've actually wanted to play a Bob Ross video at youth, and I think I'm going to do it at some time, and see if the kids can uh, paint a picture with happy trees and happy birds uh, and, to see, and compare it to what Bob does. I love Bob Ross. Who doesn't? What a guy. And, and underneath, it, it, Amazon shows you items that are frequently bought with this toaster. You can get the Bob Ross coffee mug, along with the Bob Ross Chia Pet. For $75, you can get all three things. Dear Lord, help us. I love Bob, but I don't know I need a Bob Ross Chia Pet. However, I was kind of taken back by how many hundreds of reviews are on such items. So people do buy it. Tell you what, I'll give you something better. For $60, so a little low price of $60, you can write a check or use your credit card, debit card, or whatever you want to do and go online and make out to First Christian Church. In the memo line, put backpack program. And for the low, low price of $60, you will feed a kid for one semester at our local school for $60. How would you want to spend your money? Now, it's not really what this sermon is about, and it's no problem in, in selling items to profit and to do some things. We like to think those that are selling these items are giving back in good ways, but what we know not always the case. People do not always uh, sell things in the name of Jesus or do things in the name of Jesus that are spiritually correct, morally correct, faithfully correct. One of the things that we can actually call into question of religious leaders today, actually the writing of books. 
uh, some of the podcasts I listened to, they questioned some religious leaders for the continuous writing of book after book after book after book. Are they using their platform of a minister to sell Christianity to uh, uh, enrich themselves? It takes a lot of time to write a book. And they'll go do book tours and speaking engagements, but they have jobs at a church. Are you taken away from that? It's a fair question. Now, Corey did not get wealthy selling his book. Nancy, you, you, you're related to Corey. You, you, he didn't get wealthy uh, as far as you know. No, no, we, we, we know that. Now, if we can make it go viral and make Corey wealthy, I say let's try that because I know Corey's heart and so do you, and I bet you he would do something good with that money. However, others at times don't. But I'll lift up somebody who actually does do something good. Rick Warren. People familiar with Rick Warren? Purpose Driven Life. I, in fact, have never read that book. I'm sorry. It is uh, on our shelf. I think my wife has read that book. But Rick Warren has done ex really, really well uh, through this book sale. So much so that I read one article where he said in royalties alone in one quarter, he made $9 million. And there's purpose-driven life journals and purpose-driven life devotions and whatever. You can buy anything purpose-driven life. One thing that's neat about Rick Warren, and I'm not going to get into Rick's theology and all that stuff. In fact, I really don't care and don't really know that much about it. But what I find very interesting is that Rick does something called reverse tithing. So he gives away 90% and lives on 10 and does not take a salary from his church. I mean, I would honestly wouldn't have a problem with taking a salary from this church. I mean, working, if you want to take a salary, fine. But I also see why he doesn't. That's, that's a great thing. I commend him for this. It, it should be a challenge of, of, of how do we use our wealth to maybe help enrich others and the places. And keep in mind, Rick is still worth tens of millions of dollars even by doing this. His life, his personal life is not hurting. But what an amazing way to use uh, the platform he was given. And I know those books have also uh, motivated and inspired many people. So sometimes it can be used for good. But it's not always the norm. So here we have Jesus. Jesus is seen as something that's not the norm. He walks into these, in this temple. And let's kind of keep in mind, Corey lifts this up a little bit. He talks about why is Jesus so mad in this moment? You know, the temple, and I agree with Corey, the temple was a sacred place. It was a place that people believed God was actually present in that place. So people would go to the temple, they'd pay the temple tax, they would also uh, go and, and, and look for forgiveness of their sins, look for healing, whatever. And so they would go, and they would speak to somebody, and they'd say, sure, we will, we will forgive your sins, we will do this act for you, it's going to cost X amount of money. And for some people, what I have read, it was up to a year's wage. Imagine that. Imagine if you came into this place and said, Chad, you know, I've, I've been dealing with this. I'm sick with this, whatever. Uh, can, can, can you bless me? Can you forgive me? Can you heal me of this? Sure. Here's, here's the price of it. Go ahead. Jeez, Chad, that's, that's all I make in a year. Cool. You don't have a problem with it then. That's, that's flat out taking advantage of people in their weakness can't do that and then the people in the courts or in the temple they're selling doves as Corey references could be three dollar doves but they're selling it for ten 
So they're just piling on and piling on and piling on to the people that are sick, people that are struggling, people that are oppressed, people that, that are just looking for hope and freedom from whatever it is they're dealing with. And Jesus walks in there and he says, this isn't right. And he can't walk over to the person selling doves and be like, sir, um, I just need you to like stop doing that. I, you know, it'd be really great if you just quit. And like, that's not what's going to happen. The people are like, get away from me. Who are you? That's not how Jesus does things. At this point, it, he's over it. Jesus is over it. So what does he do? He's going to rattle some chains now. He's going to go in there and he's going to flip this stuff over. And he prevents people from doing that anymore. We're not going to do it this way. Right? Jesus came to liberate people. He's a liberator. To free those who are sick, to free those who are impressed, to free those who are facing injustice in the courts. This has been going on in the Bible from the Old Testament all the way through Jesus. The prophets continually spoke up about the injustices faced of people of that day. How the powerful and the wealthy continually took advantage of those. And those did not have a voice. So Jesus gets mad. And there are times in which anger can be used for good. And this is a moment. If it was you, how long is it going to take you to be on the short end of that stick, the short end of those systems, the short end of what those people are doing before you finally have had enough. For the majority of us in this room, we've never been on that side. I, I haven't really ever been on that side. I've kind of more been on the, on, the, on the more privileged side of things. So Jesus' words should be a gut punch to me. In which ways am I doing things that could be hurting other people? How can I help to raise my voice to bring truth and liberation to others? That's what I get from it. How can I use righteous anger? And that's what Jesus shows us, righteous anger in this moment. So what's interesting about this scripture and what Corey says is Jesus is teaching when he does this. He's teaching. Right? Now, I'm not going to try to interpret that so much, but just think about that. In this moment, he's teaching through his actions and through his words. What does he want you to know? What does he want you to learn? The best line that Corey writes down in this chapter, and I'm going to write down my journal. It's so good. It says, a scalpel can be an instrument of healing in the hands of the doctor or an instrument of death in the hands of a criminal. It is not the tool itself that is evil. It is how it is used. Let me read that one more time. The scalpel can be an instrument of healing in the hands of the doctor or an instrument of death in the hands of a criminal. It is not the tool itself that is evil. It is how it is used. Before I continue with that, if you just start thinking about guns and Second Amendment, block that out of your mind. We're not talking about that. Because that's what actually I did when I read that. I was like, ooh, nope. We're not talking about that. We're talking about systems. We're talking about people. Right? We can use our wealth for good and to help people, to liberate people, to bring healing to people, or we can use it to continue to oppress people and to enrich our own lives. And for us, it can be very hard in the Western world especially in America, where we are individualistic by nature. 
That's just kind of who we are. We have to kind of recognize that a little bit. Say, okay, but how can I use my place of status and privilege and power and wealth, whatever I have to give, to help other people? Doesn't mean, like Rick Warren, you can still live a good, fruitful life. But in the end, we're going to be kind of looked upon, what do we do for some other people? Do we help or do we hurt? That passage is powerful. Your anger is the scalpel. Anger can be a devastating thing. Jesus warns us in Scripture that, yes, we know the law that says do not murder, but be wary of anger because it can lead us to that. But anger can also lead us to revolutions and huge positive change. And that's what Jesus is coming to do. The number one reason Jesus died, and the number one reason in that day people got crucified, was a word called sedition. It's when you speak out against the government. That's why the majority of people went to the cross. And it was the most useful, intimidating tool that the Romans had in that day and age. And it worked a lot of times. That's why he goes out. He knows political powers and religious leaders are continually to use their influence and systems to keep people in bondage and chains. So he's going to make it clear in that church and in that temple, this is where it starts. We can't be this way because it does start with people. I don't beat up systems too much because it starts a lot of times with us as individuals. We have the power to make change positive change. As Corey goes on to say, he says the temple did not start out this way, but over time, due to human influence, it became corrupt. Due to human influence, it became corrupt. We do that at times. We corrupt systems through our own selfishness and greed and thirst for power. Jesus constantly says we can't do that right he is a humble man a humble servant humility uh, to me is one of the top if not the top characteristic of a follower of Jesus humility I think can breed love for neighbor I think humility can breed service it can help us to not to to give selflessly uh, selflessly And as Corey ends this, he says, what in this world makes us angry enough to be Christ-like? Think about that. What's, what in this world makes you angry enough to be Christ-like, to maybe use your righteous anger? But what in this world makes you angry enough to be Christ-like? When Jesus got angry, walls crumbled. May it be so in our world, our lives, and our hearts, that last part, our hearts. Maybe it's our hearts that need that change, where we hear Jesus' words. Maybe he knocks down the walls that are holding us back from fully loving our neighbor, from fully caring for each other, even amidst differences, differences of opinions, difference of thought, difference of way of life. It's what Jesus calls us to do, to love God and love our neighbor. May you reflect on what Jesus says. May you reflect on what 
can give you righteous anger? Where do you want to see change that would be Christ-like? Amen.